The following episode of Geeks and Beats contains language or subject matter that may be unsuitable for children. <laughs> Listener discretion is advised. There we go. Everybody's here. Oh, look at this. Early even. Let's go. <laughs> well, you got some place to be? There's no Game of Thrones. There's no big, you know... No, I understand. Raptors thing or something. Usually you're champing at the bit because you got a place to be. No, I don't have anywhere to be. That's the point. <laughs> so you want to get this out of the way so that you can do nothing. I have a bottle of Crown Royal Northern Harvest that's calling my name. Oh, gee. And a chair in the sun on the back deck with a dog that's waiting for me. Guaranteed by the time this show is over, that sun will have set and it'll be all cool. It'll be fine. We have a we have a fire table. We'll just fire that up. You have a fire table? Yes, we do. Uh, you also have uh, <laughs> feedback. What the hell is wrong with that studio that you no, have feedback? It's, nothing. it's just that these headphones don't seal correctly. Oh, I know what it is. You're deaf as a doornail. No, 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 no. All right, here we go. I said, here we go. Live from Studio 3B. Now with 1.2 billion subscribers on iTunes, Spotify, and GeoCities. This is the world's most popular podcast. With Alan Cross and Michael Hainsworth. Featuring musical guests, Sting. iTunes is dead. Long live iTunes. Mobile Syrup's Patrick O'Rourke has done something we don't dare. Install the macOS beta that ends the 18-year reign of the bloatware. We'll find out if iTunes children are up to the task of replacing it. Plus, more details on our end-of-summer fundraiser to send us to CES 2020. All right. The hookers and blow prizes are through the roof. They are. It's in that exchange rate. <laughs> and now, ladies and gentlemen, Alan Cross and Michael Hainsworth. So if iTunes died at age 18, what is that in people years if you use Moore's Law? Oh, God. I can't even do the math or something like that. But iTunes should have died a long time ago simply because it had become bloated and, and just very user unfriendly. So as we have this wake for iTunes, you have a beverage that uh, you are going to raise a, a glass to. I have my dirty vodka martini. Patrick, what do you have? I have a nice glass of uh, iced tea. Ah, okay. So you're going to keep this dry. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You, you've got you got to keep your wits about you because we're going to grill you on what's coming after iTunes. Yeah, that's what I'm here for. All right. Okay, here is my tribute to iTunes. to praise iTunes, but to bury it. When you came into the world in 2001, you were a simple music management program. You could rip, catalog, tag, and burn. Life was easy. But over the years, you took on additional burdens, syncing iOS devices. iTunes was required to activate any new iPhone. If you wanted an iPhone, you had to have iTunes. iPhones were sync intensive. Not only did it have to deal with all your music, but iTunes, you were also called on to handle all our photos and videos, which became a burden. By the time version 6 was released in October 2005, the iTunes store started renting and then selling movies and TV shows. More syncing ensued. Woe to anyone with a slow computer. And it was you, iTunes, who took on the responsibility. Once we got into podcasts, another 2005 introduction, we were once again beholden unto you, iTunes, to find, download, and sync everything. 
ever use iPod games? That was the thing that first showed up in 2006. And yes, it was up to you, iTunes, to deal with iPod games. Oh, the App Store. Remember when the only way to access it was through iTunes? And then we had to use iTunes to get those apps on our iPhones and iPod Touches and iPads. That's the way it was from 2010 to 2017. Remember when Apple introduced iBooks in 2010 to complement the iPad? That remained an iTunes job for a number of years before it was peeled off into a standalone app called Books. That came integrated with the iOS operating system in 2010. Oh, ping. Yes, ping. Remember Apple's attempt at a musical social network from 2010? No? Well, just as well, because it was eradicated after just 25 months. But when Ping was around, it was iTunes' burden. Ever use iTunes U? It was another thing for iTunes to handle. And your phone. And your iPad. iTunes was also responsible for handling a radio function and for streaming music from a variety of sources. Any voice memo you recorded on your phone could only be downloaded to your computer via, yes, iTunes. And what about iTunes Match? The program was supposed to seamlessly upload your songs to the cloud so you could download them on any other of your devices. Even songs you downloaded illegally would be replaced by fresh legal versions. Nice idea, but the feature maxed out at 25,000 songs and had a habit of making arbitrary decisions about replacing or even deleting songs in your library. And then let's not forget iMix, Genius, iTunes DJ, Up Next, Home Sharing, Coverflow, that was also all you, iTunes. But now, after 12 versions, you will finally be able to rest your bloaty bloatness with the release of the Mac OS known as Catalina. You will be severed into three different apps, just like we have in iOS. About time, too. Rest well, sweet iTunes. Your burden will soon be over. Unless you use it on a Windows machine, in which case, never mind. Everything stays the same. <laughs> You, you got me a little verklempt at the at the beginning there, but towards the end, it sort of felt like the death of iTunes was the loss of that grandfather nobody liked, but everybody had to keep around. Well, that's exactly the way I look at it. Yes. I've done the math here, and for every year in tech life, it's the equivalent of five human years, which means iTunes lasted to a ripe old age of 90. You know, that's a pretty good run for a program, especially one that, like I said, has been saddled with additional responsibilities every single year. Joining us now to officiate over the wake of iTunes and to tell us how it will live on within its children is the managing editor of Mobile Syrup, Patrick O'Rourke, joins us. Good to have you with us. Thanks for having me. But the lights that by the house and the yanks they were within And a tanker boys they hissed advice but were with us we turned and shook as we had a look in a room where the dead man lay. So big Jim Dwyer made his last trip to the shores where his father's lay. But 15 minutes later we had our first taste of whiskey. There was uncles giving lectures on ancient Irish history. The men all started telling jokes and the women they got frisky. With five o'clock in the evening, every bastard there was pissed. Yeah! No tears shed, I'm sure, from you. Definitely not. It's it's nice to see it go. It's definitely long overdue, that's for sure. I didn't realize this, but iTunes actually 
existed before Apple had anything to do with it with an app that I used all the time for my Rio MP3 player, which could fit on a single on a single SD card, a maximum of eight tracks. Eight tracks? Eight tracks could fit. I had an RCA Lyra. And if you, oh God, if you had it at 64 kilobits per second, right, you could fit 60 songs. Exactly. If you wanted more, no, sorry, it was 30 songs. And if you, you could dial it down to 32 and you can get 60. Patrick, I don't think we're going too far into the past. Like, like something tells me you, you were ripping MP3s off CDs at some point yourself. I, I certainly was. Um, I had a creative MP3 player. I don't even think the company exists anymore. Um, but I remember I got... Uh, oh, they do. They're in Singapore. Yeah. Oh, they're still around. Okay. So I, I got a... I had an external SD card slot in the back of it. And I remember getting a one gig card. Uh, and that was amazing because that was the most space I've, I've ever had for music on an MP3 player. And now you can buy a one gig card for like five dollars back then it was over 250 or something like that exactly i just dropped another uh, eight terabyte drive onto the home network wow. and was blown away that it was less than 190 dollars but back in you know 2000 sound jam mp was the go-to way to get music onto your rio mp3 player or any of those other players as well apple snapped them up and it was the beginning of the bloatware that would last 18 years yeah, I, I use Sound Jam a little bit. I also, I guess, I was on on, on, um, on Windows machines back then, so it was mostly Winamp for me. Oh, wow, yeah. And there was another program, and I can't remember what it was called, but I ended up buying a lifetime membership for upgrades on it. I think I spent $29.99 or $19.99 or something, and I can't remember what it was. But as much as we dump on iTunes iTunes made it possible for us to completely revolutionize the way we consume music because at about the same time, we had already grown sick and tired of the one-hit wonder nature of compact discs. CDs were not cheap. You drop 20, 30 bucks for a compact disc and find that you only really liked one or two songs. That led to the rise of all of those file-sharing networks using P2P, uh, LimeWire, and a bunch of others. Ultimately, Napster was a direct result of the frustration felt with the music industry. iTunes gave us that ability to buy a track one dollar at a time. Well, we have to separate these things into two. There's iTunes, the software, and then the iTunes Music Store. So they're two different things. The iTunes Music Store will continue to exist. Right. And it was what Steve Jobs took to the record labels and said, look, you guys are over a barrel. You're getting killed by piracy in these peer-to-peer -peer programs. I'm here to provide you with a solution, and you don't have any choice. So I'm going to dictate the terms, and this is how music will be sold digitally from here on in. And, and you'll also still be able to access that entire music library that some people probably had for years through the new music app on macOS Catalina. It's just an, a tab within that will give you access to your library. So in a way, I guess that hasn't changed. So then explain to us how this all comes together now that they've split iTunes in the upcoming operating system into three independent parts. Sure. So the, the music app will be home to Apple Music, Apple's music streaming platform. It will also be home to your iTunes library. There's a little tab in the corner uh, to, to access it. There'll also be a podcast app for the first time on uh, desktop. That's 
that's totally new. So that's dedicated just to podcasts. It has its own relatively easy to navigate UI. Um, I think with iTunes podcasts, we're a little buried. So that's, that's definitely, at least for me, a step in the right direction. Um, and then there's Apple's movies and television app, which will be the home for um, all of the movies and TV shows that you can buy through the platform. And then eventually, eventually Apple's Apple TV Plus uh, subscription service, which hasn't yet launched, but is coming. Um, I think this fall is, is when it's sort of slated, slated to finally release. I've had so many people come up to me and say that, no, iTunes is dead, so that means I, uh, Apple will not be selling music anymore. Apple will not be doing what it used to do with iTunes. And I have to kind of correct them and say, no, they're just unbundling some of the features of iTunes into separate apps, making it, which will make things a little bit more easy, right? Yeah, I, I think it's kind of just indicative of how we use our phones now, right? Like, there's an app for everything iTunes was kind of a bunch of apps in one in a way on desktop. So now Apple's split those various purposes that iTunes has picked up over the years into one, uh, into, into various platforms. So, um, it depends on what you want to want to do. There's, there's an app for that now on, on desktop, which wasn't the case before. It was just all, all iTunes all the time. I would argue that Apple basically killed the goose that laid the golden egg as far as iTunes is concerned, because I had a massive library of MP3s that I ripped in the early days when you were in your 20s and you had nothing better to do at night because you were broke. You'd sit there just filing CDs every time it ejected one, you'd punch in a new one and you just keep going and going and going. I had a buddy of mine, by the way, who did that with a poor MP3 encoding mechanism. In every single track he recorded had a click every 10 seconds. Oh, wow. And he didn't know it until he got through like a thousand songs type of thing. I have this massive library. Where is it? I couldn't tell you. It doesn't seem to appear properly on my phone. Some of the tracks are there. Some of the tracks are not. Over time, when I sync, some of the tracks disappear and others appear. And it just feels like they broke iTunes so badly fairly early on that when I would ask Siri for a track that I knew I had, it would say it couldn't find it. And eventually I just ended up buying the subscription service uh, of Apple Music so that I, anything that I previously had would be made available. And there's a side of me that feels like they kind of did that on purpose. Yeah, downloading actual tracks definitely fell by the wayside for Apple. I mean, uh, it, it seems like a long time ago at this point, but I had an iPod Classic. I was always getting new albums. I was loading them onto the iPod Classic. I was pretty diligent and meticulous with my library. Um, and then one day, uh, Spotify came to Canada, I got a subscription, I tried it and I sort of never looked back. I, I don't even know, um, really how to sync my iTunes library of downloaded songs on my phone. It's been so long that I have, I just, I haven't done it in years. I, uh, I, I know how you feel. Um, however, I'm one of those people who does need professionally to be able to download tracks. I, I need an online music store so I can purchase something, so I can possess something, so I can use it in multiple ways for my radio shows. So I'm glad that it's sticking around. Um, but at the same time, maybe you can help me with this. Uh, at one point, iTunes had 70% of the world market when it came to selling digital downloads. Who had the other 30%? And who, where else can you buy music online? I don't even know. A good question. Um, I, th I think that for a while Microsoft had a music store. I don't know if it's still around. 
Oh, the Zune? Remember when the Zune was going to be the next big thing? Yeah, there, there's the Zune one. Yeah, it was the Zune store. I think you're right. Yeah. Well, okay, hang on. I think it might be gone at this point. Um, and then there's a few other smaller players. But uh, to be honest, the only one that I know of where you can actually download tracks still um, is, is at the iTunes store. I'm just looking here. It says the Zune store at Amazon. What does this mean? Do you, do you remember when the Zune first came out and there was the viral photo making the rounds of the guy who got a Zune tattoo? <laughs> oh, yeah. That was great. And it was, like, evident to pretty much everyone at the time that there was no way this was going to be a thing long term. No, I got one and mine was brown. <laughs> Well, you got a Zune tattoo, too, and yours was brown? No, 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 no. Uh, Microsoft, actually, where I was working, they gave us all Zunes. And I ended up with a brown one. <laughs> Which is the sexiest of colors. They've become a bit of a collector's device. Like, if you go on eBay or Kijiji, people are selling them for a fair amount of money. Um, I never used one. Really don't know much about them. But uh, there was a lot of people out there that were pretty pretty happy with them. Okay, I'm punching Zune into the eBay. How much do you think you would pay for a brand new? Okay, I don't think brand new is it. Oh, refurbished? No. Oh, I've got on. one here. It's a uh, a platinum model with thirty two gigs, a new battery, one hundred and sixty two dollars. Oh, I got a deal, one hundred and twenty three ninety nine, but it's refurbished. Nice. Sixty four gig black, three hundred and twenty six. One thing I'll say about the Zune, if it wasn't for the the, the Zune. I don't think that we would have the interface that we have today. If, if you look at the interface of the Zune, they recognize that icons and small text doesn't really work. Um, Microsoft went through this really interesting period with its user interfaces where it was big, chunky lettering. We were capable of, of seeing and reading everything on the screen. And I really thought it was actually quite a refreshing take on the small screen user interface to just scroll through a bunch of words that represented those items instead of worrying about which icon was where and multiple buttons to get in. Your Windows phone had a bit of that sort of design DNA for a time, too. I think that's probably where it all came from in the first place. Much like we, we talk about how the iPad was the actually precursor to the iPhone, they just ended up releasing the iPhone before the iPad, even though they started working on that interface for a much larger screen early on. Okay, all the Mac people are going to be moving to these three new apps. Music, podcasts, Apple TV. Right. How long, realistically, do you think Apple is going to keep iTunes alive for Windows users? I, I think that's, it's interesting, because so iTunes, I believe, launched in 2001 on Mac, and then it wasn't until 2003, I think, until it came to Windows. Um, so, I mean, it could be a, a couple years, but there's no way that they're going to continue to maintain the software in, in that time period. I think it's definitely going to fall by the wayside on Windows probably more than it, it already has over the last couple of years. Um, I would bet probably a year and a half to two years. That that would be my, my guess for sure. I can't remember the last time I used iTunes on a Windows machine. I really can't. It's not, uh, it's not a good experience. Um, back when I was using an iPad, classic I think um, I didn't own a Mac computer so I was syncing everything um, on, on my Windows laptop uh, it was probably Windows XP at the time would be, would be what I think it was um, and the software was really slow uh, almost it always made me wonder if maybe Apple intentionally did that 
Um, they, they didn't want the software to run perfectly on Windows, that sort of thing. I don't know if there's any truth to that, but that was always kind of in the back of my mind every time it crashed when I would be attempting to sync my library. Which is interesting because if it wasn't for Microsoft, it's arguable that Apple wouldn't exist today. Back when we had the Macintosh operating system commanding a whopping, what was it, two and a half, three percent of the market share versus Windows, we had Steve Jobs essentially go hat in hand to Bill Gates, begging him to build Macintosh versions of some key Windows products, including Microsoft Word. And if it hadn't been for Bill Gates' willingness to commit the resources to build compatible versions of typical workplace applications on a Macintosh, Apple would have seen its market share completely evaporate and it would have disappeared as a computer company long before it had the opportunity to release the iTunes music store and the iPhone and the iPod before it. And you still see them kind of work together today on different things like uh, Microsoft's very much all about making sure that all of its suite of software is available on every platform ever. You see that in the video game industry with Minecraft, but also with like its suite of Office apps. You can get all of those on Mac OS. You can get all of them on iOS. So they still kind of have that um, uh, cooling of the Cold War, I guess, uh, where Microsoft realizes that it needs to kind of have its its most valuable platforms uh, and assets available on even its competitors' devices. Yeah, well, what's interesting about that is that Bill Gates recently admitted that his biggest failing was not focusing more on the Android operating system. And while they were helping out Apple and all of that kind of stuff, they dropped the ball on the mobile world as Android became a, a force. Yeah, and they bought Nokia instead. And Windows Phone was just... It, it did a lot of things right, but it was just too too little, too late, very much. So the app that gets split off outside of the music app is the Podcasts app. And I, I really felt that there was an opportunity that was lost early in the Apple iPod development to put a lot of analytics into the monitoring of what we were listening to on iPods uh, when it came to podcasts. I, Apple finally found religion on that, and I guess it was about two years ago they came out with iTunes Connect, which started monitoring more actively how we were consuming podcasts, what was going on at the time, when we tuned in and when we tuned out. It strikes me that... Um, setting up a completely separate podcast app for the Macintosh operating system gives them an opportunity to refresh the app in a very big way. Did they? It's, it's a decent app. I mean, in a way, when I when I was kind of playing around with it, it had a really good user interface. It kind of looks like a mobile app, um, but it has the big icons that you would expect from, from a desktop app. It's decent as far as I can tell, but it's still the public beta, so things could change when it gets uh, when Catalina gets publicly released later this fall. Apple was kind of arrogant when it came to podcasts. They really, uh, well, they got into it early, and they really um, got behind the distribution of this new form of communication. It was just go to iTunes, find what you wanted, subscribe, and download. There really wasn't anything more to it than that. Meanwhile, other companies are coming along. And they're offering podcast distribution. 
But we're starting to see things like, uh, you know, search by text, search by voice, search by, you know, audio. Embedding advertisements, like like the ability to just like lock a, a marker somewhere in a podcast and then inject an ad into it at a later date was something that was never there in the no. early days. No, no, there no. was no real effort to monetize this technology. And right now, Spotify is eating iTunes lunch when it comes to spot uh, when it comes to podcasts because they're they're innovating the way podcasts are being used and distributed. So what you're saying is what Spotify has managed to accomplish is they dig into the actual content of the podcast and are able to pull out details of the podcast so that when someone types in a search criteria, it can bring you podcasts that are more relevant than Apple. Not only that. Um, with my other podcast, the Ongoing History of New Music podcast. Never heard of it. Yeah, I know. A year ago, um, about 90% of all downloads were going through iTunes. Now that's dropped precipitously, and over 30% is now coming from Spotify. And that's where a lot of discovery is coming from. So by sitting on their laurels and just, you know, living on their past glories of being one of the first successful podcast distribution sites, Apple and iTunes has, you know, they're, they're playing catch up now. Spotify also recently purchased a platform called Anchor. Um, that's sort of uh, for podcast creators. It streamlines the, pro- streamlines the process. It also streamlines like the, the act of editing a podcast and, get your your content onto various platforms much easier than something like Libsyn or or other podcast platforms. Um, They bought that probably, I think, a couple months ago, back in February. Um, And they haven't really changed it very much. It still works the way that it used to. It still has the same analytics. But there's some people that think that that Anchor will eventually be uh, directly integrated into Spotify to kind of offer that additional tool to uh, creators. Do you know why Spotify is getting bigger into podcasts? Why? Because they want to divert 10 or 20% of subscribers' listening time to something they don't have to pay royalties on. Ah. They want to keep them on the platform, but they don't want to pay as much as they're having to pay music uh, uh, publishers and, and, and songwriters and rights holders. Interesting. So the more effort they put into podcasting, the more popular podcasting becomes, the more we listen to podcasts, the less they have to pay artists for music. This is right. They want to become the Netflix of audio. And this is step one. On the topic of Netflix, Patrick, uh, what about that final app that uh, gets split up there from the original iTunes, Rest Its Soul, uh, is uh, the, the TV and movies app. What do you make of that? It's very similar to the podcast app in term, terms of layout. It's, it's really all the same content that you could get from iTunes broken out into its own uh, sort of location, which is the same way that it works on iOS, the same way that it works on Apple TV. Um, I think one of the things that we're going to see change is that um, all of Apple's original uh, movies and television shows are going to be on that specific app. So I think that's when we're going to kind of see it kick into high gear. Um, but just from a user perspective, it makes it way easier to access um, the movies and television shows that you want to watch. You don't have to go through all kinds of different menus and screens. You pop open the app and all the new content's right there right away, which is the way um, that platform works on 
for example, like the Apple TV or something like that. So it's nice to see Apple kind of, um, I guess, uh, making, making the experience the same across multiple platforms. Patrick, thank you so much for your time. iTunes is dead. Long live iTunes. Well, long live the music app. We don't need iTunes. Patrick O'Rourke is the managing editor of Mobile Syrup. He joined us from Toronto. Thank you for joining us. Thanks for having me. Own one of the craptastic mugs of the world's most popular podcast and support the show. You too can use the power of science to hold liquids, both hot or cold. Visit geeksandbeats.com today. Pull up the patrons for the benefits and relationship manager. I told you how much I hate the Patreon, right? Yeah. Uh, We've established the Patreon is dead to us. Yeah. We're getting more and more people, too, joining us uh, on uh, geeksandbeats.com, clicking on the support the show via PayPal, which does that recurring thing. Now, here's here's the thing. We're, we're kind of screwing people a little on the PayPal. How is that? Oh. Well, because the recurring thing is weekly. So even when we don't have an episode, oh. we ding their credit card. Whereas well, wait the a Patreon second. Wait, wait, people, wait, wait a second. How many weeks? How many weeks have we actually missed? Well, we haven't missed any so far. That's what I'm saying. But we're going to go on a little bit of hiatus uh, over the summer, maybe just a week or two, and then maybe over Christmas, over a week or two, mm-hmm. and we're still going to ding people. And you know, and there are those episodes, yeah. So, uh, but on Patreon, we you we only get dinged when we actually publish an episode. So we want to continue to say thank you to those who are Patreon patrons who have been very helpful over the course of uh, the last, what, we're six seasons now? Okay, yeah, that's about right. Six seasons, my friend. That's yeah. pretty good. Aaron Nicholas, thank you so much for being uh, a patron. Patreon? Patron? Mm. She uh, she just deleted her, uh, her contribution. Hopefully she's jumped ship to the PayPal service as well. It should be good. Everybody should have a everybody should have a PayPal account. They they come in handy. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Now here's the thing too, is that the reason why we're banging the drum on pledges and support is we are ramping up for CES 2020 in January, and you would think it'd be a little early to be talking about that, but we're already working on our live show where we're going to do a live fundraiser show to support us going to the Consumer Electronics Show, and it's looking like the weekend of August 24th. I think I'm in town, so that's good. <laughs> I would hope so. Yes. Because um, our ace producer, Vanessa Azoli, has already landed us a venue. It's in the east end of Toronto, in that swanky Leslieville area that's all up and coming. Mm-hmm. Have you noticed that? Yes. Everybody's talking about the Leslieville these days, which is just south of me in Riverdale, where I live with Archie and Jughead. Which means two things. One, you got to keep out for Mr. Weatherby. And two, I'm within stumbling distance of returning home at the end of the night. And yet I am a 45-minute drive. Yeah, but you're not much of a drinker anyway. No, that's true. Neither am I. But having said that, we were thinking maybe the neat idea would be uh, invite people down as a fundraising event and include them in the show. Because I know that you do these things all the time where you go to events and you... you, I've done uh, a, a keynote presentation where I've got slides and clickers and scripts and stuff. You just go out and you just like open up the microphone for people to ask questions and you entertain people like you're Kevin Smith or something. For about three hours. It works. Three hours? So I thought maybe we should do something similar. Bring people down, give them an opportunity. For every question I get, you'll probably get 10. 
Well, fine. We'll see if we can do that. I'm also working with another company to see if we can maybe take this thing on the road. And we can do a on number the of these fundraising things uh, throughout Southern Ontario. Okay. But there's going to have to be some sort of deal. Yes. I'm working on it. Yeah, because the, the, the idea of driving all over hell half acre no, no, no. doesn't no. exactly appeal to me. Sell advance tickets and we'll take the money up front. Oh, well, all right. Hook me up for Thunder Bay, Ontario. Yeah, we're not going that far. Well, as far as I'm concerned, you get five minutes north of Toronto and you're above the tree line. <laughs> Catch all new episodes of Geeks and Beats Wednesdays on iTunes. And watch for Geeks and Beats magazine on a newsstand near you. To be part of next week's show, call area code 323-319-NERD. Follow the stories on Twitter or Facebook and get your dose of Geeks and Beats anytime at geeksandbeats.com. The Geeks and Beats podcast would like to thank the National Science Foundation.